In the relentless pursuit of the elusive unicorn that is the perfect tattoo over the past 15 years, my thoughts were consumed solely with the goal, head down, driving my feet ever forward, but never looking up. Focusing only on the destination leaves very little room for introspection about the actual journey. I'd been in a hamster ball called life for my entire life until 2020. China. A new type of coronavirus. The number of affected countries has tripled. The World Health Organization has just declared that this is a pandemic. Good evening. As the pandemic of coronavirus claims more lives around the world, the people of the United Kingdom are now being advised to make drastic changes to their day-to-day -day existence. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Trapped in a once-in-a-lifetime quiet stretch of enforced contemplation, my personal post-pandemic hangover has become a modest voyage of self-discovery. Only now do I realise the necessity of unravelling the threads of important moments and of delving into the profound revelations that answer most of the whys that have long lingered in the background of my life. So here, for our mutual benefit, is the latest thread that I thought was worth pulling at. One question that I get asked all the time goes along these lines. Paul, you're so driven, where do you get that drive from? The answer often surprises people when I tell them that I'm not driven in the traditional sense at all, but rather I'm actually scared shitless and that fear has always been the major motivating force in my life. Now, I don't believe that fear is a bad thing. Fear is a powerful motivator, especially as the only skill I have, if any, is that whatever the distance I have to cover, if I can cover it with nothing more than gruelling repetition and hard work, then I'm in. Practice makes perfect, and I'm an expert at it. So, motivated by my ever-present friend called Fear, he who loves to remind me that people with my socio-economic background don't get too many chances, and when we do, we have to fight tooth and nail for just about everything we want. Because if we don't, well, then we're fucked. One life, no respawn. Controlling fear is impossible. It's one of the many melancholic truths of life. Yet within the realm of our influence lies the power to dictate our response to fear. Personally, I've opted for a response steeped in the fervent, unwavering rhythm of praxis. It's this relentless dedication that has sculpted me, for good or for bad, into a person with an unyielding commitment to the mission. Establish a goal, toil tirelessly, no matter the magnitude of the effort, attain, or falter, and then, without pause, recommence. The goal, the mission, stands as my constant guide. However, it's the undercurrent of fear that propels me forward, breathing life into my actions. Once the music business spat me out into the real world in about 1995, I faced an alarming truth. I was utterly unemployable lacking so-called real-world skills. It was time to confront another reality. 
I needed to land what they called a real job. After a stint in college and a fateful encounter with a graphic design tutor, I found myself on the bottom rung of a ladder in a publishing company's production department, scanning pictures all night. A star, yeah, but it was a far cry from my life on the road. The Grammy nominations and remixing chart toppers and all that nonsense. I was back to being the novice in the room, making the tea and soaking up knowledge. But this wasn't my familiar territory and these weren't my people. The office environment was extremely unfamiliar and I was lost. But I was in the room and that was all I needed. So I got to work. Over time I discovered that the lessons of humility, focus and perpetual learning gleaned from the music business worked wonders in the design world. The principles of effective creative communication knew no bounds. Once that clicked, progress was swift. I found myself promoted, much to the chagrin of the real graphic designer who ran the department. And this would be my first taste of one of the uglier sides of human nature. The resentment of those with overinflated egos threatened by the newcomer in their exclusive club. Years later I'd encounter similar disdain from tattooists threatened by authenticity and unique voices, but that's a tale for another time. Back in the design studio I was faced with an unhelpful, jaded character who didn't think his talent should be wasted working for a lowly local newspaper, especially when they'd allow idiots like me in the room. I was, to him, proof that they just didn't get it. They couldn't see how a proper graphic designer would be offended by having to work with a monkey with a computer. Even though I was slightly offended by the comparison, I didn't show it. This monkey had a plan and a family to feed. Nothing was going to get in the way of that. I wasn't an overwhelmed teenager anymore. By this point in my life, I'd stared down gun-wielding angry concert promoters, seen a couple of ODs and lived in the chaos of the road for years. I'd grown up in the grubby lower echelons of rock and roll, so to say I didn't scare easily would have been quite an understatement. So I persevered. Early mornings, late nights, lunch breaks, all dedicated to learning, with nothing more than a cold cup of coffee and a single cheese sandwich made from the cheapest ingredients money could buy. It was both comically and tragically unglamorous, but in a couple of years I became proficient in design software and had managed to glean enough information from the fledgling World Wide Web. I built a self-taught, nuanced understanding of graphic design. I'm sure any apprentice tattooist will recognise this kind of obsessive behaviour only too well. I also hate cheese sandwiches to this day. Added to my newly emerging skills were the years spent reading the sonic cathedrals of sound era writings of the NME, recording endless radio slots and staring at guitar adverts. This meant that, with a little effort, I figured out I could put together passable advertising copy and design a decent advert, or ten, for a kitchen company. All the while I was doing this, I was taunted and laughed at by the pro who had no interest in progressing his skills. He maintained that I'd never be the real thing like him because I hadn't earned it by coming up the proper way. And that wouldn't be the last time I'd hear that criticism in my life either. I'd already experienced the uncomfortable relationship between artistic integrity and commerce working in a recording studio as a kid. And as I became more skilled and knowledgeable in design, it became laughably obvious to me that my boss wasn't the talent he thought he was. As my skills evolved, it became evident that he lacked any real talent and even a grasp of modern design. He was a hack, just phoning it in for a paycheck, already on his way to the elephant's graveyard. His attitude stunk and it really bothered me. 
I was obsessed with design, eating, sleeping, living and breathing it. His lazy, jaded approach just struck me as mad. Like, why would you bother doing something this hard if you didn't really love it, when you could be just as miserable in a much easier job? And not long after, my hard work started to pay off. I picked up advertising awards, he moved on, and I found myself in charge, eventually leading the company's internet and magazine departments before venturing out to start my own agency. The lessons from my teenage encounters with the true pros, the musicians, echoed. Never stop learning, never rest on your laurels. Stagnation is the enemy of growth and very good is the enemy of great. I simply carried their words and ethos into my design career and my life. Be there, seize opportunities and get to work. Turn up, be awesome, go home. Spend less time figuring out the right decision. Just make a decision, then make it right. The driving force behind my transformation from roadie to designer was of course my old friend Fear. He helped me to focus, to ignore the negative voices and detractors and to just push on, keep my eye on the prize and get to the place that I and my young family needed me to get to. It didn't matter that I wasn't a real designer or that I hadn't earned it. The fear of the endless drudgery of the factory life that was supposedly my assigned destiny kept and still keeps me pushing myself and my art every day. See, the funny thing about fear is that we're all going to experience some level of fear in our creative journey at some point, whether that's the, the kind of low-level background stuff like imposter syndrome, which we all suffer from. So if you're sitting here watching this thinking you're the only person with it, you're not. We've all, we all experience it. But that's kind of backgroundy stuff, right? That can ramp all the way up to the kind of abject terror that you get standing on a stage for the first time in front of a couple of thousand people or working your first tattoo convention and hanging your banner and kind of hands shaking as you, <laughs> you put it up, um, which I seem to remember being pretty much my first convention when I did it. But I think the point of, about all of that is we can't control fear or the presence of fear or the absence of fear. But what we can do is control our response to it and what we do with that emotion. Is it fear an emotion? I think fear is an emotion, certainly a feeling. And so I think that what you have to do is, is take that and go, okay, I'm fearful about something, I'm anxious about something, what am I going to do with that? How am I going to use it and not allow it to destroy my forward movement? Like in the story I was just telling you, I think the thing for me was I'm not bothered about being a novice all the time. It's never worried me, that sort of thing. I've always thought if you're the least skilled person in the room or you, you're the person in the room that knows the least, you've only got stuff to learn. Everyone else is already on the journey. Do you know, do you know what I mean? So all that can happen to you is positive stuff rather than negative stuff. You're not going to get knocked back. And I guess that's kind of like the guy I was talking about in the story. He's kind of, for me, he's kind of allowing fear of the new to stop him from staying on top of his skills because he's learned his job and he's got very good at it because he was a very good designer but he would have been a very good designer 10 years before I met him now this wasn't an older guy I mean this is a guy in his mid-30s that has got an almost nostalgic kind of feel about what was and doesn't want to learn what is you know the computers and all that sort of stuff I think partly out of fear of 
all of a sudden being a novice again, you know? And when I say to people, you know, that very good is the enemy of great, what sits between very good and great is a thing called fear. People who get very good, they, they won't potentially move towards great because, you know, I think... The thing about that is I think it's a very natural thing to think and I think it's also, it's a very easy trap to fall into because not all of us are narcissistic egomaniacs who think that we can be the greatest in the world. So we set a realistic goal. Could I be very good at being an artist, a tattooist, a musician? Not many of us go, I'm going to be as good as Freddie Mercury one day. We just don't start from there because that's not how normal people think, right? And when we talk about great, I'm not talking about the greatest in the world ever. What we're really talking about is the greatest version of you that you can be. So if I'm given a choice of you can be the very good Paul or you can be great Paul, well, I'm, well I'll pick great Paul. When I'm not talking about being Paul or Freddie Mercury or any other famous artist or musician, you know what I mean? Um, because I think that's a weird thing to think. So I think it's an easy trap to fall into because we set out to become very good because that's attainable. But once we get to very good and we've learned the skills, and then as you know, as your skills settle, you do that for a few years, you become afraid of taking that step backwards because being the novice in the room again is not always the, the nicest place for people. For me personally, I, I never had a problem with being the least skilled person in the room because to be perfectly honest with you, for most of my life, that's been exactly who I am. And I've just got comfortable with it and go, well, I've, the only way is up, right? And I think that idea of controlling your response to fear, understanding that fear will happen, and that uh, you can't be afraid of moving forward and feeling like you've gone down a step in the ladder is something that we're all, I think it's something that we all need to deal with because as technology you know, marches ever forward, everything's accelerating, you know. So if you'd learned tattooing 30 years ago and you were really good at tattooing and you hadn't updated your skills for 30 years, I wouldn't mind betting that you probably wouldn't even be considered average by modern standards, which is a terrifying thought to think of you know you you there you were really really good and because you've stood still what actually happens is as the technology advances and the access to information everybody gets better quicker and they've got new tools that they can use and new machines and ipads and computers and filters and god knows what everybody's a professional photographer with a website and they all understand social media i think it's really easy to get terrified of all of that and go oh i'm going to stay in my lane and just keep doing what i'm doing but what will happen is your skill level that's high will slowly go down and down and down until Eventually, like the guy I'm talking about in the story, is you really only average your best. And I think we have to ignore the fear of learning new things, even though we're very good at our job, and look at the transferable skills that we have and move forward with the times. Because the simple truth of it, unfortunately, is that back in the day when there was less technology, it was the lack of technology that kept the skilled people skilled. Now that the technology has kind of leveled that playing field, that specialist skill is no longer the only thing that you're going to need. In the jobs that I've done, when I was a sound engineer, if you could work a 
18 foot long mixing desk with two analog recorders and all of the, you know, plug it all in yourself, eight board gear. You didn't have to be that good. It was, I mean, it's better if you're good, but you didn't have to be. You just had to know how it was working to be considered skilled. These days, the average 15 year old kid with a laptop has got all of that stuff and more at their disposal. So you're, that would not be considered a skill anymore. I've met typesetters on my journey learning to become a graphic designer who were literally worth their weight in gold back in the day. And then the computer comes along and desktop publishing comes along and the job changes completely. And this is kind of where this guy found himself. And I think that's where tattooists are going to start finding themselves. I mean, I've certainly heard old school tattooers say similar things about learning new uh, techniques that I heard this guy say. You know, as tattoo machines change and as uh, computers come more and more into the world of tattooing as a part of design and printing stencils and, you know, all of that stuff, Procreate, you know, iPads, blah, 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 blah. If you're afraid of updating your skills for fear of being the novice again, then, you know, you're going to stand still. And actually standing still in a world of technology is actually moving backwards. And that's not what you really want to be doing. Technology has just given everybody access. It's allowed everyone in, me included, right? But to stay in and to carry on doing it, we have to continually stay on top of the tech and what's going on in the world of art and tattooing and design and all that sort of stuff to make sure that we remain relevant to the world that we're living in because the world we're living in is changing really, really fast. As a for instance, I'm the oldest guy in my shop, you know, but with some of the guys by a full 20 years, you know, and yet I'm the person that knows the most about how an iPad works, which is mad when you think that the guys are in their 20s, they're digital natives, they grew up with this stuff, and very, very often they're asking the analog guy in the room, hey, how do you do that thing in Procreate? And I don't even use Procreate as my main tool. That's kind of where you need to be. And I think that's kind of... I think it's a good example, you know what I mean? I don't think it's a perfect example, but it's a good example of staying relevant and not being afraid. And that's really what this episode is about, is not allowing your various fears to stop you from moving forward and understanding that fear is always there. It's always going to be present. That's, it's just what it is. You know, welcome to the world of being a creative. That's, you're going to have lots of new kinds of fear <laughs> all the time. But if you take charge of it and you decide, well, you know, I'm going to be the master of it rather than the slave to it, and you can use it to motivate you and drive you forward, you can, you know, in the right circumstances, you can use that to propel you forward. And I think that's the best advice I can give you about my old friend, Fear, who's stood right there, right now. <laughs> And so with that, guys, I hope this was food for thought and I hope it was helpful. And I'll see you next month. Take care. I Beg to Differ is available in video format on YouTube in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts, and in its written form in Total Tattoo magazine, every issue.